Welcome to the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast, a polyvagal theory informed therapy. I'm your host, Joanne McIntyre. Here we talk everything polyvagal and SSP related. Dr. Porges has provided us with a revolutionary framework for understanding the connection between our autonomic nervous system and behavior. The SSP acoustic intervention is an exciting new therapy helping people all around the world. Hello and welcome to episode number 30. Today's conversation is focused on the Safe and Sound Protocol for Kids. In my work supporting families with children who are experiencing challenges, whether that be neurodevelopmental or mental health related, I have observed significant improvements following the Safe and Sound Protocol. I am also privileged to receive a lot of feedback from pediatric focused therapists on the improvements they observe because of the SSP. So I wanted to help build awareness both for practitioners working with children, but also for families listening who are experiencing difficulties. As you will hear, the SSP offers hope and evidence-based improvements across psychosocial and biophysiological systems. Today, I'm speaking with two senior level clinicians each with over 30 years' experience in paediatric therapy. I am honoured to know both as colleagues and good friends. Doreen Hunt, occupational therapist, is the co-owner of Children's Therapy of Woodenville in Seattle, USA. And Irina Woodward, occupational therapist, is the owner of Family Connections in Sydney, Australia. Both have extensive training beyond the Safe and Sound Protocol, and I will include their contact details at the end of the podcast. So welcome to the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast. Today, you guys are really in for a treat. I've got two amazing clinicians with me, um, Doreen Hunt and Irena Woodward, and I am going to have them both start with giving a little bit of background about their journey with the Safe and Sound Protocol, but today is SSP for kids. So we're going to be really unpacking that and some amazing case stories. So um, yeah, excited. So Doreen, how about we start and just you give us a little bit of background. Sure. Um, Thanks for doing this, Joanne, and great to see you guys. Um, I am an occupational therapist that resides in the Seattle, Washington area. Been a pediatric focused OT for way many, my whole entire career, let's just say that, but over 30, 35 years. And um, have really welcomed the journey once integrated listening systems, the focus system joined in my bag of shall we say, and treatment approaches. And then along came the Safe and Sound Protocol in 2016 as a tool to use with the nervous systems of all the little kids and families and their parents. Um, And so I've been using it, yeah, for quite a few years in our practice. I'm a owner of a pediatric clinic that has OT, PT, speech, nutrition, and some mental health services in uh, Woodenville, Washington. Excellent. Yeah. So how about you just add that? Uh, that was me or? So how about you just add that you were 
the, the story about oh. how you actually started with the SSP, because I think that's a good one. Oh, sure. Um, so I was in uh, Denver for a conference, a symposium, and that's where we learned about the SSP, and Dr. Porges was a presenter there. And um, at, at that time, it was the end of July, and I requested to take the SSP home with me in my suitcase to Seattle to get going. If they, they wanted us to learn about this, I thought, you know, it's summertime, the kids are home from school, and so they have the capability to come to the clinic multiple times in one week. And so I went home with it in my, you know, with me to get started that month of August. And each week of the month of August, I had a different child come into the clinic to um, basically do some uh, feasibility studies and, and some research to show the effects of the SSP. And that was in the very beginning, we were doing it in a different model than we do now, but that was, you know, an hour a day for five days. And so I was able to do that for that month of August back in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I guess I should also say that I've, you know, been so involved with ILS as a trainer um, back in the day. It, that's where I met you, Joanne. And then also um, was on the initial clinical advisory board for two years for the Safe and Sound Protocol with Unite. Um, so I still do some things where I'm mentoring other clinicians and supporting organizations that use the SSP, some foster care groups, some hospitals. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of uses. The SSP is really affecting many people um, in a wide range of disabilities and across the world, which is really exciting. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. And Irena. Um, well, I mean, uh, have pediatric occupational therapy uh, practice in Sydney. It's only occupational therapists. We just decided to just focus on one thing and do the best we can. Um, my journey with SSP probably sort of started through ILS, similar to the Reigns, but it was interesting because it also started in Denver when I did mentorship with Lucy Miller and I didn't realize the significance of it at that time that Kathy Minson came to present um, the benefits of ILS and it really sat with me very well. So I came home and, um, you know, started the process and introduced it to my clinic and then through different trainers, you know, over the years bumped into <laughs> Joanne um, so I loved ILS Focus for so many years. And when SSP came, I initially didn't really have much knowledge about polyvagal theory or Stephen Forges, but went on the reputation and trust I had for ILS Focus. So I thought if they're promoting something, it must be good. <laughs> so I dabbed into that and did the training. And it really was, um, it had such a huge impact from the start that we just, you know, promoted it and used it with our clients and clinicians and cats and dogs <laughs> and all sorts of, uh, you know, avenues. Um, so I think we did it also from the very beginning when it just emerged. Um, yeah, so all my clinicians, or most of them are trained in SSB and we, are, we have uh, quite large account 
so many people in Sydney are supported through SSB. Excellent, excellent. And you're right. Like I think about my journey with with the Safe and Sound protocol that I think we launched it here in Australia, like uh, I think within a month of it being launched in in the US. And yeah, my knowledge of polyvagal theory from from where it is now is just just mm-hmm. evolved over time. And I think my role has just been it's been so exciting to not only use it myself clinically, but to always to hear all the feedback from the practitioners that we support in Australia and New Zealand, and then also with our connections with with the US. So that journey of uh, in hearing the power of what the SSP can can do for people's nervous systems is just just been amazing. So I'm so excited to have you both here today because I know in all our conversations that we have throughout, even just through our recent connection in, in Sydney, just all the different cases that you both shared with me um, was just amazing. So I really wanted to do this podcast so we can help expand that knowledge even more because I know there's practitioners who work in pediatrics and I really wanted this to be child-focused because there's been a lot of emphasis in polyvagal in the mental health space and not that that's not pertinent to children, but I think there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of language and time given to polyvagal theory and the safe and sound protocol for adults. And I think having one emphasized just for children um, will really just lend itself to to what can what can unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I so agree. I thought um, I thought maybe just to get started, let let just dive in and let's just talk about some some of the cases that have been kind of inter- really been interesting and I know you both have so many to share but I'm going to um I'm going to pick a couple that you guys sort of told me and um so Irina um I'm going off a recent presentation that I gave for um, um our psychotherapy FND group here and um I remember you telling me about uh, FND, a young adolescent girl that you worked with who had um, diagnosed with FND. And and I think I'd love for you to talk about that one because then I think if we can maybe unpack some of the polyvagal neural aspects of what the different shifts that we saw unfold for her. Hmm. Yeah, so just to give a little background. So this little girl was um, in a very supportive family environment. However, parents experienced um, different traumas in their lives, but mostly related to family members. So I'm not sure if this created some kind of um, background story. And then small operation, um, I think she had a hernia sort of led to pain in her tummy and then just difficulty eating and then fear of eating. And as the time progressed, it led to her not tolerating any foods and ending up like she at some point when she got a little bit older, she was treated as anorexic and had not very friendly approach to getting her to eat, which probably added extra layer to her trauma. Um, And in high school, so when I met her, she was around 14, 15, 
and she was she had nasogastric tube to eat, which was sort of impacting on her participation. She used to be very sporty, very active, and very social, so that impacted on her sort of wanting to go to school. She knew she was very self-aware of uh, how it looked and. Um, working with dietitian, trying to get sort of like liquid um, diet. And, you know, the goal was of certain uh, amounts. So we started with SSP first time. Um, so let's just back up. How did she actually get the diagnosis of FND? Um, she ended up to be treated at um, Westmead Hospital. And because they tested for any physical reasons, to her not being able to tolerate food. It just, nothing came up. So it ended up with F&D. Yeah. Um, so the first, uh, she went through several courses of safe and sound protocol and each time we sort of had little progress. Then we experimented with um, tolerating food in her mouth and just chewing, chewing gum and, and creating, you know, introducing flavors. And I sort of the family was coming and going, like they were not constant clients. And, you know, each step was that she was able to tolerate small amounts of uh, soups and then, you know, liquid soups. Then we introduced little lumps in, in soups and like step by step, um, we actually managed to be able to eat normal meals. And uh, last time I checked, I think she this year she graduated from year 12 um, from high school. And after having success with SSP, she went and had EMDR therapy and is now eating and back to her sports and just loving life. Excellent. So let's just unpack a little bit of that. So with the foods, when you started the foods, didn't you... Didn't you do a really different approach? Because once I think you were saying she was eating like Ensure. So it was like a very much like the whole framework around eating was like forced. You've got to get these calories in. And then you, with a more polyvagal approach, sort of like, you know what, let's make this fun. Let's make this like move it away from medical that you have to get this in, that your whole framework was more polyvagal informed. Yeah? Yes. And it, I must say that, it helped because she was quite motivated. She wanted to live her life, but it was just that constant fee and um, like eating food and then, you know, vomiting. It's just not pleasant experience. So she was constantly cautious of, of what will happen next. Um, we sort of started like, you know, using my OT skills, I was probably unpacking if someone's eating this bland food that, you know, like eating supposed to be enjoyable and maybe social activity, and she's sort of sitting like almost like medication <laughs> taking. So we started experiment. And I remember when I first suggested that maybe she could eat, like can because she wasn't eating for so many years, was her jaws and even the you know chewing mechanism still remembering what to do with it? So I suggested maybe experimenting with chewing gum, which mom was initially not very happy from remembering chewing gum stuck to different places. Mm -hmm. um, then we introduced sort of not very sugary, the, the sort of nice vegetable juice lollipops. 
So we introduced lollipops, um, then different sour lollies and anything to just stimulate, uh, you know, saliva and digestive system. And then I thought if she can tolerate um, small amounts of ensure, which is sweet and nauseating, what about if we just have soup? Like why not soup and have different tastes? And so we started from that and just slowly progressing. It went to, you know, when she started uh, tolerating lumps, then we were thinking of what meals would she like and then she would be helping mom to prepare those meals. And yeah. And it just went from there to, and you know, once she, um, once she started to feel more confident, and the fear was done, then I think she started making much bigger steps forward to um, sort of normality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you know, for for a while she still was considered sort of not, um, you know, I wouldn't say malnourished, but her iron was low, uh, so she ended up having some infusions. And then, you know, looking at the input to make sure that everything is right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would you say you think the SSP helps bring that sort of neural sense of safety in her nervous system so then she felt like she could explore different kind of foods? Absolutely. The fear factor was reduced and I think the wanting to join to rejoin the life and and enjoy her sports and being with her peers was a big big sort of motivate uh, like factor to push through and i feel that you know i'm hoping that also you know activating that vagus nerve sort of settled the internal organs to not be so reactive and not have those you know jumpy moments that she would then you know vomit or not tolerate the food that was going in yeah i must say because there was no other diagnosis i would say like you know there was obviously anxiety but it's hard to say where what came from but um you know there are other uh, clients that i had with similar um symptoms but there would be sort of like underlying asd and that that was a little bit different to treat because um there was more layers to scrape first which mm-hmm. i think this client in particular like she was a pleasure to work with because you could see that light of i'm so scared mm-hmm. that i can't be there but i really want to be there yeah yeah but she would have been still motivated to get back into her life and her sports and everything prior to starting that journey with the SSP. But her neural system was just caught in this whole fear threat response, that vagus nerve of whenever she consumed, it was almost a, an immediate motor memory to like, oh, I need to purge this. Oh, absolutely. I think her nervous system was protecting her from something that, you know, maybe you know, was perceived as needed to be protected from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definite shift in perception of life and, and you know, what can be done and what can be achieved and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I remember you telling me this case and thinking just the other aspect of it is not only just the vagus nerve being stimulated, but, you know, they had that glossopharyngeal nerve that's all part of the social engagement network that um, big thing in sort of... Important part from, you know, swallowing and chewing and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that would have been part of the system helping to come online for the, um, for her. I think it had a big role in sort of like awakening mm-hmm. of, um, of the whole, you know, her nervous system but also her digestive system and, you know, calming down that protective part of, of autonomic nervous system to, um, you know, to, to stop the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is such a good case because, you know, there's a lot of kid, kiddos out there that have a lot of feeding issues and and I wouldn't always be a therapist go to to have that polyvagal lens or think of the SSP as something that actually could make quite a shift mm-hmm. in that. So great. Like awesome. you, you know the case where we worked with little children, like they <sighs> were where yeah. that was a big factor when you could measure the input from the bottle <laughs> volume that there was all of a sudden coming in and, and sort of increasingly um, improving through SSB. So let's come back to that one. So let's, Doreen, do you have one that you would like to share with us? Well, I think along those same lines would be that story that I shared with you of the teenager See, as we're talking about older kiddos, that's not necessarily a feeding um, case story, but um, a case story of a teenager during the the years of COVID who developed um, hallucinations, first auditory, and then they they progressed to be also occasionally visual. She was having these hallucinations of this male voice. Um, that was telling her to harm herself. And so she um, had several instances of being hospitalized with self-harming and or suicidal attempts. And this, again, fully cognitive, um, you know, engaging girl, teenager, um, that really shifted out of feeling safe and, she through had been in many mental health scenarios of you know trying to get treatment one of and they were on the verge the family was on the verge of sending her away to a place nowhere near home because nothing else had worked so and, how long had that journey been going on of them seeking going on for more than a year and a half between you know about 18 to 20 months and um Anyhow, she, the parents reached out to me um, through another parent saying, hey, I would call her. <laughs> I called Doreen Hunt and, you know, this parent had done sound therapy, not for the same mental health reasons, but more for um, like they had done the focus system, motor planning, coordination, some of these other things. But then they also had done the SSP when it was introduced to me. I introduced it to that family. Anyhow, the story of this um, 16-year-old, to get back to that story, um, was very powerful in teaching many of us. Again, it is a mental health story, but um, 
the power of this neural exercise to bring safety to the nervous system. She completed 30 minutes of the SSP core and never heard the hallucination, the voice of her again. And it took her a few days to even admit, like she kept waiting for it to return. And then she, she mentioned it to her mom and her mom's like, you know, in total shock that this has happened. And, um, Anyhow, so it's a scenario where um, she completed the full five hours of the SSP at home with um, checking in. She worked with the counselor closely. I talked with the counselor. Um, you know, I saw her essentially only twice during her five hours of the SSP in clinic with me. And then I emailed and communicated that way with her and with her mom. And um, yeah, the five, we ended up extending it to eight hours. She ended up repeating hours three, four, and five. So she, her very first time through, which would have been February of this year was the eight, eight hours of the SSP core. And um, her life has totally switched. You know, she's got a, a job, she's playing um, lacrosse. She's, you know, healthy, happy. She, there was history that showed she did have learning disabilities and they were not necessarily picked up on. She worked so hard in school to get A's. She wanted to please her parents. She wanted to please herself. She was a very hardworking girl. Um, and then when COVID hits and everything's online and the social pressures of that, there was just so much that broke her down, you know, um, and she has more of a math learning dis a disability in, in math. And um, she also went and got vision therapy through this. But I believe that had she not done the SSP, that she wouldn't even have the persistence and stamina to do vision therapy um, with the state that she was in. So she did the SSP first, then did vision therapy. A lot of changes happened there. Um, she kept using the balance the SSP balance as a tool and I can check into with her at any time and I can kind of see and she'll listen still today um, 10 or 15 minutes a couple days a week and she says it just calms her anxiety if she feels it's starting to increase in her body she can listen and just brings her right back down to be more grounded um, she has repeated the SSP core one additional time and I don't quote me I mean it was like May or June that we we repeated it, um, but she, so she's gone through it twice, but otherwise uses the SSP balance as a tool for herself. That's an amazing story. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty powerful. Yeah. Right. Really powerful, Very especially powerful. to go from hallucinations to, yeah, pretty much after the first half an hour. That is so cool. And if you think about it, these families, right, they're just, they, they don't know where to go, what to do for their child, you know, and when you know somebody like that, that all the traditional mental health solutions or options have not made a difference. I hope there's people that hear this, that, you know, the neural exercise and the power of the vagus nerve and getting to these multiple cranial nerves through sound, how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that that message of, of safety, isn't it? It's like really, I know some of my learning over the years is like how do, how do you bring that neural sense of safety to the nervous system? Because it's almost like that's, that is, that's where you really have to start to 
create the possibility then of a nervous system can that can actually now engage in in any of the tools that we all have to that we have to offer in there yeah we think of the ssp as an opener right mm -hmm. it's not you'll hear people say oh it's it was a miracle or you'll you know the magic or you hear people say that but because you know it's it's subjective people have a really great experience but especially if you you can imagine the 16 year old family would say that right? If they've tried all these things and their daughter was, had tried to commit suicide twice. And now life is, both of these case stories, these girls now have happy lives that are fulfilling to them. But I see it so much as like the first piece, a very important first piece to the puzzle to get that nervous system ready to change, right? And like you said, Joanne, all those other tools that we have can now um, sink into the nervous system. That person is now listening and not reacting. You know, when you're in that sympathetic or shutdown state, you're not processing your auditory, the information coming in to learn something new or to try something new or um, to trust in other people's words. You are in protective mode. Exactly. I think it brings the point also to remember that the child that we treat doesn't live um, sort of in the bubble. So then often the challenges that are that came with the child's problems or sometimes behaviors they impacted on the people around them teachers parents and often the child's nervous system changes but the people around not they still anticipate the Sort of they they still stressed they still fearful that something will come back and it's so important to make sure that the whole environment is also receptive of the new change because otherwise it can as you said it's an opening but it can also be shut if there is no fertile ground for that nervous system to go and then <clears throat> flourish and develop and and change and continue changing. And I think that's a really important message. And we know as practitioners, we often talk about it, but I think for for families who are listening, it's important because often we know as practitioners, often a family will come and they bring their child to you to for the to help their child. And I think it's all that child where it really for this kind of work to really unfold and be effective, that everyone in the network needs to be involved. And be yeah, learning and shifting and changing as well. Mm -hmm. So what I want to so let's unpack that a bit more. But what I wanted to come back to, I'm sorry, Doreen, I know I've just sort of cut you off there, but I know often because you've both talked about two cases where there are repeated SSP core. So I know it's a big question for a lot of practitioners about how do you know when to repeat the SSP? Does everyone have to repeat it? Um, so what if you both can speak to that a little bit? It's funny, I had a parent that was in my office today that I don't work with that family, some of our clinicians do, and their, her son's done the SSP twice, and I just asked her today, kind of thinking, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast tonight. I said, so how do you feel about the SSP and the effects that it had on so-and-so and her son? And um, and again, she she spoke to the calmness that it brought, the calmness to his nervous system. So then other, you know, he's learning, he's engaging, he's trying new things all, you know, he's more open. 
And she said her words were, and we felt it for three months, maybe four months. And then it, if, you know, when I started paying attention to it, I felt it sort of shift, you know, and, and not last. And so a parent speaking out saying, you know, I think we need this again. Okay. Or a clinician noticing those shifts of being more, um, less flexible of the mind and more rigid in their thoughts, you know? So it's, I think I, I often ask parents when we're going through it, I call it those aha moments when there's autonomic shift, it's not going to be black and white that like, you know, your child couldn't do this skill and now they can. It's a state of being and watch for those aha moments. Like you mentioned, Irina, of the parents still expect like the child, they live in fear of the child going to react a certain way to certain things. And so those aha moments of like, oh, that was different. Oh, that was different. You know, and I'd ask them, I'd give them this little piece of paper and write those down. Because you'll get used to the new child and the way they're acting. Um, and you want to see, like, you know, pay attention to those little glimmers, as, as Deb Dana would call them, right? And so when you start, and then it's like, well, when you start feeling the stresses increase again, then that might be, to me, that's the time that we need a bigger bagel boost for that nervous system. And I'll say one more quick thing that um, in many kids that have severe developmental delays or differences and or severe trauma history, I've seen them be in need of bagel boost much more consistently ongoing or benefit from that. Mm. I agree because um, <clears throat> I found that I had few cases where there was this like miraculous change. And because children didn't have very heavy developmental um, sort of luggage to address, it seemed that that one or maybe two repeats of um, SSP call was enough to awaken their curiosity and motivation. So they actually then propelled themselves into life and I suppose, like fed the nervous system that positive feedback to again build that intrinsic motivation and and sort of drive to do things. And to be honest, some of those clients, despite having um, lots of challenges when they were referred to me, but after SSP they disappeared. <laughs> and I, I think that it's much. Sometimes, even if the presentation is difficult to start with, but it's easier to fix in a way because other things are in place. They just need a shift. But as you said, when there are more developmental challenges, it's almost like we have to peel the layers and then create the set of tools or even skills to then for the child to be able to use the nervous system to shift forward because then if for example even if the coordination is lagging or other things are lagging it will still pull them back because they will feel like they're not performing or they're not achieving or they can you know they just get frustrated so it sort of like pulls them back again mm-hmm. but um you know i had this interesting um client who worked for a while and then we had a break 
And mom called me saying that she really needs to come back because teachers have concern. He's not participating. He's not completing his work. He's refusing. His behavior is erratic. And that was around sort of just in the middle of our Australian school year, about June. I didn't have availability, so I said, listen, why don't you, because I, I, I knew the boy, so I knew that he was quite anxious. And I said, while you're waiting for the spot, why don't we just do SSP? So they did SSP through school holidays at home. And then I didn't sort of hear back anything. So obviously the appointment wasn't that urgent. And then towards the end of the year, I was visiting another student in a classroom and it just happened that this child was in the same classroom. Um, so I spoke to teacher and I just checked in. So how is this boy going? And she said to me, he's my star student. I don't know what happened to him, but he's writing this beautiful work and he's just, you know, just came through this huge change. So I called mom and I said, why did you say that he needed to come and see me? And said, because there were all those complaints and, you, and even teacher was telling me, look at his writing before June. And then when he came after school holidays, it's neat and everything's just clicked in. So I sort of said to mom that he doesn't need any more appointments because, and she didn't get that feedback from school because it just, oh, it's, you know, he doesn't cause any problems anymore. Everything is fine. But then mom didn't, you know, get the information that he was a star student and this amazing transformation happened. So that was really sort of like almost in the background and by chance discovered because nobody would even report it. I guess in terms of, yeah, so I guess in terms of repeating what you guys are really saying is that it's just, it's really individual. And I think that's sort of the dance of being a, a clinician is knowing that everyone's nervous system is is unique, it's different, they're wired, all based on their experience before they even walk through your door and then what environment are they going to? And um, so, yeah, so you can have those ones like yours, Irina, where they maybe go through, and I'm sure you have them too, Doreen, where they go through once and and then you don't hear from the family, just sort of seems to do the reset and based on neuroplasticity, the nervous system now, you know, sort of mm -hmm. projects forward and just keeps on being adaptive and wiring mm -hmm. in that sort of, you know, taking on life manner. Yeah, I think SSP is really a journey in itself because some clients, they will have to take tiny little steps and it will take them forever to complete the, the first SSP call. And so later we might just change to balance and, you know, take it easy. I found that repetitions may be then faster than the first go if it's slow. Um, but it, it's really hard. It's nothing that you can prescribe. You really need to look at the clients and see what their needs are. And um, I found that when parents not sure if there was any effect, we have to then inquire a little bit more because, as you said, Doreen, parents, they just get used to, like, new things happen and, well, they probably would happen, but then they don't realize the significance of it and, and sudden change. Um, and if good things happen, I tend to repeat. Why not? Let's see what else can happen. 
You know, Joanne, I, my study group, we put together a list of questions to ask parents that I, I grabbed it right before our meeting that I think it would be good to, to bring up because you talk about, you know, we hear about SSP benefits for the mental health and more adult population, but if you don't mind, I'll just read sort of the categories that, Definitely. you know, the, the exploratory questions for following up with an SSP program. And first and foremost is looking at emotional and relational changes. Um, Dr. Porges calls it the um, portal to social engagement, you know, seeing them more open, more eye contact. Um, do they seem happier and less of that rigid thinking? Um, and do they seek out more touch and, and loving communication that way? Language communication changes. Kids who are nonverbal, I, I see through sound therapy in general, the focus systems as well as the SSP, where they the increase in receptive language um, through all that intensive input to the auditory pathways. And kids who are verbal, seeing a lot more improvements in even articulation, also, they're more talkative, you know, et cetera. So expressive and receptive language changes. Explore those with your clients. Um, the reactive behavior, you know, just behaviors, right? Kids um, having behavioral difficulties is such a huge thing, and especially with COVID and, and everything in our world these days. But we'll see that, you know, that's a, that's a, a nervous system living in sympathetic. And so getting out of fight flight, you'll see less meltdowns or huge emotional reactions. And if they still have them, they're usually shorter duration. They can recover more quickly. Um, and now you often see that just even gradually get to, you know, it's like they're still having them, but they're not as big, they're not as long, and then they go away. So it's like this gradual transition often can, can be seen. Um, any changes in eating, the story of changing, trying new foods, not having that um, fear response to textures and tastes and um, things. And then looking at sleep, we know input to the vagus nerve can help increase sleep and quality of sleep. And so exploring that, exploring changes in bowel habits, again, vagal, vagus nerve to all to our digestive system and, and just exploring sort of the um, interoceptive awareness. And sometimes that means, you know, so there's less constipation, which is the bowel habits, but also just more awareness of needing to use the toilet, more potty. I've, you know, had successes with potty training, things like that. Um, and then as an OT, of course, we're going to look at all those sensory systems and they're just less hyper vigilant, you know, and what's going on in all the sensory processing areas. So that's quite a huge area that we can tackle when we're looking at peds. Those are all areas we're looking at. And then I'm going to prompt you to add some of the observations that you've shared with me in terms of the overflow into gross and fine motor skills. Right. Mm -hmm. That you're really yeah, sort of noticing surprises. what. Mm -hmm. Big surprises that I had shared with Joanne back in the beginning when we were just learning about SSP and trialing it and just the excitement of, and, and I'll say, um, Irina brought that up a second ago, of like the handwriting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like in June, his handwriting all of a sudden improved. Okay, there's a motor skill change as well as attention and focus and, you know, slowing down. So a temporal processing kind of influence, but, you know, it's writing is complex, but that's a motor improvement, right? Mm -hmm. And um, back in the beginning, my original, you know, wow factor from following the SSP was two individual, um, they happen to both be females, 
that were um, had more like level three autism, more severely um, delayed. And we've been working on riding tricycles and you know that bilateral integration, your hands are doing something different than your legs, you have to pay attention to your environment. It's a very complex, riding bikes and, and starting with tricycles is a complex task motorically. And um, it was like the light bulb went off in these, both of these little girls' brains that like their skills in pedaling and steering was just huge change. And they, and we've done nothing else. You know, it was like, we were doing an hour a day for five days. We did it in one week and these, you know, changes happened. And, and you see other, uh, more of those kinds of things happen with eye-hand coordination and motor planning. And, you know, part of that's attention and focus and being calmer and more grounded. You know, it's complex as to why, but the SSP is influencing motor skill development as well. So I'm just going to jump in because you reminded me of a recent case going through your, your checklist that you shared in terms of like bowel and bladder. So I recently had supported a family. Mum's actually a psychologist and the son's on the spectrum and was uh, incontinent with bowel and bladder and a lot of fears about actually having a bowel movement, would not go to school, would not go to the bathroom at school, would not go to the bathroom at at um, the grandparents' house, after the first listening sessions of SSP, um, they started to wake up dry. Basically, the whole time they listened, they were dry through the evenings. They would, um, yeah, their listening session. They finished the listening session and immediately went and had a bowel movement. As soon as he would listen, he would go and have a bowel movement, and then he just started to first of all, get that more awareness of what my internal physiology is doing in terms of being in control of that. And then with that, the fear about where I went to the bathroom really diminished and he felt comfortable he would go to school. So you can imagine holding that all day. Well, first of all, not being aware. So there's a fear like, do I need to actually go? And then holding it as well because you didn't want to go to school. How uncomfortable that would and that an element to add to his behaviours. But those were the first things that come online for, for this young fellow was, was what the autonomic nervous system is supposed to be regulating. And that just for me, just that's the base, that's your foundations, and everything else started to, to build on top of that. Yeah, but the language, and he would constantly have these very odd check-in behaviours with his mum, um, lots of vocal echolalia and vocal play. And all that just started to settle down and he started to, yeah, interact in a more adaptive manner because his nervous system was more regulated. But, yeah, the bowel and bladder one was definitely interesting. Another thing I want to add just real quickly for if any speech or um, therapist who ever listen to this, but um, drooling, kids that drool, I see such a huge um, change in decreasing drooling or stopping drooling. Because again, we're, we're influencing that facial nerve, the trigeminal nerve, we're getting the oral motor muscles more in line, the suck, swallow, breathe coordination through sound to those cranial nerves. And um, so, you know, people wouldn't think of that as well, mm -hmm. but I see that as, as an important um, other reason. And on top of that, I know the three of us are, um, do this with our clients and we've often talked about about taking a video or taking photos prior to starting to because we see shifts in those cranial nerves 
that we'll see shifts in in, smile. in almost yeah the smile and and almost like some kids. I remember you, Irene, you said sometimes you've had kids that they almost look like different children because that tone in their face shifts and changes. So you guys want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, especially you see children when they um, they smile with their mouth, which more like a grimace, but their eyes are not doing anything. And then, you know, after SSP, you have this whole face expressive, like the emotion just coming through the face properly. And, you know, just a huge, huge shift in, in how the child looks. But I think that's, yeah. Sorry, finish your thought. I just, I, I feel with this um, connection to emotions, it's also what I've noticed, um, sort of emergence of um, sort of like a, a, a compassion and ability to see other people's perspectives. Like I had few children who would always fight and just everything was me, me, me and about me. And then after SSP going home and having completely different interactions with their siblings, which parents were <laughs> like blown away that all of a sudden they would spend time with their younger brother explaining some concepts that, you know, parents were speechless just watching like, who are you? <laughs> so it, it's really, it's really lovely. And I think another big change is also that, you know, parental, um, almost like quality of life in some ways because all of a sudden life is more um, harmonious and children are more you know like looking at different perspectives so they actually more considerable considerate of other people including parents um, I had children expressing their gratitude for whatever parents do for them and you know just wherever it's coming from but it, it all happened during the SSP, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. I remember a parent telling me about her son offered to carry in the groceries with her and she just like, what? <laughs> You're actually even aware that I'm doing something <laughs> that you could actually possibly, but to offer to help, she was just like, I can't believe it. So, Dory, what were you going to say? So um, with Irina talking about the face coming online, um, I just want to say, you know, when we talk about that portal to social engagement, right, we, that expressiveness of our face matters for others to want to engage with us, right? And so many times we'll have flat affects on this face and in the voice. And there's both vocal changes that will also happen in addition um, from the SSP. And so having more intonation in your voice when you're speaking will be more engaging socially for others to want to um, join in with you, right? And seeing that expressiveness, you know, getting those abicularis, how do I say it, abicularisaurus um, muscles around the eyes, getting those engaged, right? And we see that. And during COVID, when we had masks, it's like that's all you could see. And you have these really flat affects. And so, anyhow, it's just been really powerful. And when you talk about videotaping, I just recently took pre and post videos of just a kiddo speaking. I have this little boy who's on the spectrum, who is three and a half, um, just turned four now, but I've been working with him a while. And his voice is always super, super, super high pitch. And so I decided one day to take a 
a video of him to of his voice wondering if it will lower you know as we're going through ssp and so then i just took a pro post video this week and um it's definitely you know different and i've been noticing it and talking to dad about it but having that video is more powerful right of things like that um, the pictures photos of faces pre and post there's so many times i wish i had taken that pre-picture you know and i didn't because you see them after with so much more expressiveness in their face and you're right the voice is so important to see those shifts and changes and yeah i'll often have a family do like a little video of them just telling them about their day or telling about their favorite story or something they'd like to do just so you've got that pre and post. I mean, families are always videoing it, but I think if we have a really specific one and you can sort of see, you know, are they talking in that really high tone or, or, or too low or, or there's no emotional in it or the disconnect from the voice from the face. And it's really, really neat to sort of see how that shifts and changes as kids go through, through the protocol. And I just wanted to add, um, in my study, we use Porter's, um, he used to, he developed a tool called um, Prosody, and you take a, a recording of a child's voice and then his lab actually filtered it into different frequency bandwidths. And because we know higher frequencies in the voice are related to higher stress or sympathetic system activation, our mid-range is our human connection range. Uh, and there was a shift overall in the participants where there was improvement where they moved into this mid-range and then part of the part of the um, the way of the data filtration is you look at a prosody score and we saw like a uh, improvement in that sort of prosody composite score which was very neat to see in the data mm. so let's talk about one more case we've talked about a couple here about feeding issues mental health Irina do you want to talk about that that infant because I think that's a really great one um yeah that was sort of more of Kim's client but because they were struggling with um feeding um I actually had an idea to despite child being so little I think it was less than three months old um and because it was close to our practice <laughs> like uh, someone close to us uh, so we really wanted to help and I just felt that you know it it cannot do harm um, so the baby was so little didn't complain about having headphones on so we did with headphones and we just progressed through the program and you know mom was reporting that you know the volume the child was drinking um, increased but other things that were really amazing to see is just that awareness because um, this child doesn't have specific diagnosis it's hard it's it, there is no um, sort of chromosomal things it just sort of I don't it's hard to say it's you know something happened um, but one of the things was the, there was a visual challenge and we became aware that the child is actually not responding to environmental changes and um, there was some uh, I think she started wearing glasses glasses at some point but with SSP the big change was in affect like all of a sudden the face lit up 
you know, the fitting improved and it just like we felt that it had impact on developmental growth. And even doctors initially didn't um, think there were sort of exciting prospects. So I think the little girl actually outdid herself to prove that that it's possible. And, um, you know, she went in leaps and bounds and also the motor skills were progressing uh, quite well. And, you know, she's now, I think, five and, you know, doing, doing quite well. And definitely from that social angle, she's engaging, she's happy, she's, um, you know, she plays and um, sort of like works more intensely on her motor skills and, and sort of developing those. But, you know, we were very excited every time mom posted photos or we could, we, she came to the clinic, she was like a different child. And, and then she moved from um, SSP to focus system. And mom was very diligent and excited about the progress. So she, she did really well. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I think it was such a cool case. I remember Kim telling me that when she was like three months old, she was just pretty, pretty like in her own little world, not even really even gazing at mum's face or tracking and just really a low arousal, a lot of awareness of the environment. And so while she was lying on her back, they put the headphones on um, each side of her and just almost immediately her eyes sort of looked up and she looked at her mum and a little smile come on her face. So just like it's a massive, massive shift of like, Oh, this is the person you need to connect with. This is your your portal, your doorway now to to engaging and uh, developing yeah, emotional regulation. So hmm, very yeah, cool. I must say that in in this child's case, it was like progress was more global because mm. it affected her, you know, awareness and and eating and uh, motor skills. So it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Think about the importance of attachment for that mm. mother right to now have a more of a co-regulation and connection where the baby is returning some of her signals to that baby that's huge um i'd like to add one more thought to this too of one of the early early families that i used ssp with but we did it over a speaker was a micro preemie that came to our clinic for feeding and he had a gastric tube and was not doing oral feeds when we started the SSP. And that little boy was off of his G-tube by the age of one years old. And in my career, I'd never seen that short span of needing a G-tube. And the parents were like, I, I told them right out front, this is very experimental. This is a sound program that we just started using. Um, and they would play it over a speaker 30 minutes a day. And they usually played it either right before eating or during his tube feed. And by the age of, this was adjusted age, but it was like his adjusted age was about four months old when we started. And um, he, the biggest thing, each time they'd come into the clinic for a checkup and therapy session, it wasn't with me, it was with one of our other therapists. They'd always just say, he's just so happy since we started the music. He's so happy. He hears it. He lights up his facial expressions, his smiles. And again, that's that. What's that going to do for you? The attachment piece of that, right? But he continued to progress with solid foods beautifully. And yet he never had that coordination for oral feeds. 
and he did solid feeds and he was off his G2 by ear. I'm sure that that bagel input from the SSP was a part of that. That's great. Yeah. Fun, fun, you know, it's important for us to think of all the different potential use for this program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the sort of like beautiful parts is that feeling that SSP creates. And and I found that if children spend listen with their parents, like sometimes I would have mom listening with a child. So then children associated, they would ask, can we do the mom's music again? Or if they, for whatever reason, if children, like parents could not, they might have had more children and they requested that I am the co-listener for the child. I felt that when they come later to see me, there is that st stronger connection to me because of that feeling of safety. And I think it's really, really wonderful. And I think we really need to work with parents to make sure that this is reciprocated and sort of enriched and followed through because it's so easy in today's life to just fall back onto the stresses of day, you know, daily things and whatever's happening. And we forget how important it is to nourish that safety because it's something that can grow but you know it can't grow out of nothing and doesn't matter how much effort we put into ssp it will sort of open up but then it still need to be nourished and and encouraged mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think you're exactly right that sort of safety and proximity which i know paul just often talks about that sort of neuroceptive sense of I can let my guard down next to this other nervous system. And I think that's that's what the power of the SSP sort of brings in. And I think that's sort of the message that I know often that I give to parents uh, in helping them prepare to do the SSP at home with their child is to go into those sessions with that real sense of I need to be 100% present, let go of all the to-do things I need to do, that this is a completely different therapy from anything you've ever done and just really let yourself be be with your child. Even if it's something simple of, you know, them, you're tickling their back or you're giving them a foot massage or but just where there's no other demands and because that nervous system of you being 100% present is going to resonate to their nervous system, knowing that you're not going to ask them to do anything else. You're not going to ask. And that's when you can really get that safety and proximity. Joanne, I just wanted to share one more case, which sort of was buried somewhere in my head and you just prompted it. Um, years ago, I had mom that came to me with her daughter. Her daughter was just six and um, she had lots of behaviors of this, you know, constant tantrums and meltdowns and her mom was just so burnt out from it. So now we were starting SSB and I could feel that mom almost feels like I don't want to be close to this child because she causes me so much pain. So we sat down and I just tried to prompt her to think about moments where she really enjoyed the company, like some positive experiences as she just burst in tears that she cannot find anything at the moment to feel close. So we slowly worked through, but we completed SSP. And then um, a few months later, and it just goes back to those pre and post evaluations, 
So I we spoke and you know she started doing well at school and she was okay at at home and not arguing and fighting with her siblings anymore. And I reminded mom, so how do you feel now? Can you list some moments that and she forgot even that she was in that state until I reminded her. So it just shows how much change it can bring to family life and and parents' experience of the parenting and relationship with children yeah no that's lovely yeah and I think everyone's just so busy aren't they they're just so busy and there's always this to do things I've got to do that and when you've got a child that has some sort of special need you feel the pressure of all the therapy of all the things and I need to do and I, I've obviously been there as a practitioner giving home programs and giving all the, the things. And, and I think what I've seen unfold is the beauty of what the SSP is, not only the acoustic intervention, but we often talk about the environment and how we help set up the environment. But I've really seen when you really give a parent the permission and you've got to help coach them, obviously, to to really let go of everything but that it, and, and have that mindset that you talked about, Irina, of going in and I love being with my child. I want to be here with my child. That that's going to resonate in their in their autonomic state. That we know comes out in that electromagnetic field. That their child's going to be able to pick up on. And that's going to take. It's all taking out those. For for me, it's taking all the little elements of sympathetic activation out. The more I can do that will help with that whole vagal reset and help bring that vagal system back online. Mm -hmm. The importance of, you know, having it as you are both speaking of is having the parent listen also. Mm -hmm. And that's what really brings that harmony in the family is everybody's nervous systems shifting into ventral vagal together is optimal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for the practitioners listening, how do you go about sort of, getting the families all on board for that? Well, every family is definitely a different story and you mm -hmm. meet each family with where they are. I remember just recently a mom listening and it was her son's second time through and she'd come in and she'd be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I am so thankful for this program and I'm so mad at myself I didn't do it the first time you suggested <laughs> And so sometimes it just takes some time and that sort of thing, but it's, I call it autonomic self-care and that we all benefit from it. And I share that I listen to it. So it's like coming from, it's not like me saying, oh, you should do this. I'm saying we all should, would benefit from this. Um, and again, that psych ed of polyvagal theory and understanding the, how our autonomic nervous systems work. And then just giving them that permission of, you know, the stress of parenting alone and then parenting a child with special needs and, you know, all these just stressors of everything going on is what influences your autonomic state. It's not anything you've done. It's not anything. It's just life, you know. So you just take that, put no guilt on anybody or, um, you know, you just kind of make it be where we all live with too much stress we're too busy as we all keep talking and I think of it as for me like I can't meditate I can't calm my body for meditation personally at least at this 
phase of my life. And the SSP brings almost like, it's like my meditation. You know, I sit and do nothing when I listen. And I bring that to a parent of like, you deserve that. Even if it's 10 minutes after you put those kids to bed, you know, or find that one little chunk of time for yourself. Anyhow, Irina. Yeah, I think it helps do a little bit of, like, I don't know if the word education is the best, but just showing, um, I usually try to help parents to see their child's behaviors through polyvagal lens so then they can see it's not personal <laughs> and and it sort of awakens probably some compassion towards the child's journey, but also helping parents to allow self-compassion for themselves because, um, you know, as parents, we often have to stand up as warriors and kind of like we just have to do and we have to be and and we don't have time to look after ourselves or allow ourselves the luxury of, um, you know, self-care. Um, I think that there is almost like um, a sort of challenge with SSP because some people perceive it as just music. So it's almost like becomes a little bit like what could it do? It's just the music. And I think that sometimes parents um, just dismiss it like it's oh it's just like some kind of therapy for a child. It couldn't be that powerful. Um, and then on the other side, we've got those you know different people that actually might be fearful that you know what can it be? Will it do something? So finding that sweet spot in the middle and giving enough information of how it works and um, what it could be doing because it's you know like it's it's um you know influences our autonomic nervous system but each person responds differently um so it has all those opportunities and potentials to to change things but everyone needs to be open to where it will go and what it will bring with it mm -hmm. lovely well said so i'm getting aware of the time but i had this burning question because i know often um, on my end, I get questions from practitioners because we do um, SSP training here in Australia. Often I get questions about, well, who, what diagnoses can I use the SSP with or who, who should I rule out as being a good candidate for, for the SSP? So still keeping like paediatrics in mind. And remember, we've got a lot of families that will be listening as, as well. So they might be thinking, Oh, you know, does my child have the right diagnosis? Who might respond to this? So, what what thoughts come to mind there? I I tend not to look at diagnosis at all because um, you know there's so many different things that can attract different diagnoses. But if you we look at the causes of those symptoms, um, they might be reflection of the functioning or protective functioning of autonomic nervous system so i feel like ssp is not really for diagnosis it's just for the health of autonomic nervous system and sort of building up from there because a lot of times like some of those children that i had um you know school refuses all sorts of things they, they could have give, be given all sorts of diagnosis and now they're just living happy life because they kind of the diagnosis disappeared so 
I think that sometimes diagnosis can be very limiting to for practitioners if they, they just look through those lenses. So I think it's much better to use as emotional regulation and how you know child's responses to things and where they are on the autonomic um, ladder or I use the circle thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's much more sort of holistic and yeah, that's my that's my look at it. Mm -hmm. So I I wouldn't say no. I don't think if I would have anybody that I would say that they are not good candidates for SSP, there might be cases that might need a little bit more preparation or the pace of the implementation might be different, but I don't think that I would ever say no. Yeah, okay, maybe one thing, so nobody can hook me on it. <laughs> if someone has real, you know, anatomical um changes in the E, then maybe, you know, the way the program is administered might not be suitable. But if if everything else is intact, like if either E function or structure is intact, then no. All right. Did you want to add to that? I would say, I mean, that was well said, and I would agree completely with Irina. Um, when in the beginning, when I first started using the SSP, the populations that stood out to me that were extremely beneficial were children with autism spectrum disorder, um, as well as overall children with global hypotonia. When you've got low tone in the body, that includes kids with Down syndrome, but a lot of our kids just have poor core awareness, poor interoception. When you have um, hypotonia in the body, the middle ear muscles are striated muscles as well. And those populations, I saw, I saw more noticeable, bigger shifts and changes, I would say. Um, that, that was just in the beginning that that stood out to me of how extremely beneficial this program was for that, those kinds of um, that population. But I agree, like it's not related to a diagnosis. Everybody has an autonomic nervous system and it's about features and functioning, you know, the things that we're seeing that are um, not going well that can relate to, you know, do we need some input to that vagus nerve? Do we need more input to these cranial nerves to help um, turn off those, you know, dampen those reflexes that are setting this fight flight, you know, response in the nervous system? So anyhow, yeah, Irina said it beautifully. Yeah, no, you both did. It, it exactly agree. And putting it out there that even though the three of us are occupational therapists and you know, I do have a master's in psychology, but we do provide education and support to a realm of practitioners from OTs to psychologists to counsellors and, and the same goes across the sphere. You know, a lot of psychologists and counsellors are very diagnosis orientated and so I know that um, and it is often where because they're looking at the evidence and of of therapies or interventions for certain sort of client groups but when we look at this from a polyvagal lens and looking at you know our biophysiology that we know we're impacting this system so moving to really try to have that mindset of move beyond diagnoses um, and knowing what 
underlying mechanisms that we're impacting with this kind of this kind of therapy. Um, yeah, so lovely said, both of you. Um, I I was going to bring up. I seem to be getting quite a few um, adolescents that are diagnosed with PDA, pathological demand avoidance, and you know when you just think about that title and how how that de defensive it almost feels in my my nervous system. I'm not sure if you're getting uh, increased, even though that's not an accepted diagnosis. It's um, but a lot more families seem to seem to be using that. Um, but I know when you look at it from a polyvagal lens of just like a nervous system that's that's feeling 100% defensive. So the behaviours that they're exhibiting are defensive-related adaptations to feeling over overwhelmed. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, in as we sort of come to an end, just would sort of love to hear your thoughts on because this seems to be becoming a little bit of a catchy term that seems to be getting a little bit more. Any thoughts there, Doreen? One one kiddo that could that definitely fits that that title if you want to give it that. But um, but I haven't seen it be extremely um, increased. I would just say, mm -hmm. but um, no surprises. We've mm -hmm. seen just so so many changes in mental health in the, these last you know four years. So. Um, and I do see that as such a state of sympathetic going on in that nervous system, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, so SSP as a treatment, absolutely. And this kiddo that I'm speaking to, I see two siblings from the same family. Um, two boys have completely different nervous systems and scenarios and um, sound has been very powerful. You know, that mom is very, attuned to using the SSP with both of these boys' nervous systems. Yeah, it's a very important tool. Mm -hmm. But you, Irene, are you seeing an increase in families yes. coming to you saying that my child has PDA? Yes, I do. Um, again, I, I'm not a huge fan of labels mm -hmm. just because, you know, sometimes they can be empowering and sometimes they can be disempowering. And I find that, um, you know, in my experience, any defiance, it's almost like this mismatch between the demand and the child's perceived ability to fulfill that demand or, you know, perform to, to the expectations. So now if the child is not supported or maybe the child's challenges are not recognized, then the, the child's behavior changes. Obviously, the child becomes more uh, protective and defiant. And then if parent doesn't um, get sort of appropriate support to understand where the child's autonomic nervous system is, then it might become a little bit more accommodating and in some ways losing confidence in some ways how to sort of reconnect to bring the child's level of confidence and that motivation or resilience back online to to try to maybe slow down maybe scaffold things a little bit differently allow the child space and time and bring appropriate support to then not like learn that they can actually do things because i think 
the child's perspective goes into this, I just can't and I'm not going to even try because I've tried so many times and it didn't work out and nobody came to help me. So they all think, so, you know, they start developing this narrative. I'm just stupid. I can't do it. And just everybody just leave me alone. And I feel that by giving the label rather than looking at what's sitting underneath, it almost like closes the box. This is what we've got. And then everyone tends to walk around it rather than going to the bottom of the problem. Because mm -hmm. mm, I really feel bad for parents because it's not easy. It's really hard to to live. You know, you, you walk on eggshells sort of waiting what tiny micro demand will create. And then the child loses in some to some degree the ownership of, okay, I've got a problem. I might try to resolve it. Somebody else is responsible for that. And that demand on parents to resolve everything can be really challenging. And then, you know, where is this child going if they just increasingly refusing to do anything? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. So in closing, do you have any any advice for families that might be listening who uh, have a child that's have some sort of challenge? We're not going to go with any diagnoses. But even head injury, even neurological, I know, Doreen, we could talk for hours. There's so many cases because I know that you have... Um, yeah, head injury cases to talk about as well. But, yeah, so advice to families. I think one the one thing that comes out often and that I want people to really recognize is how state creates story. And that's really what Joanne was, I'm sorry, Irina was just even speaking of, you know, where um, the more we help the parents see the child through a polyvagal lens is so important and recognize that it's their state speaking when you see this behavior or this action or this response from your child. And also from the parent's perspective to put on that shield. I always call it, you know, the mommy shield. You know, if they they might say these mean things to you, but there it's because you're the safest person in their lives. Or someone in this home is their safest person. And so they be thankful they're talking about it or they're getting things out or, you know, right, that sort of thing. And so but the more we can help with that psych education of understanding autonomic state influencing what's playing out right now for your child. And the SSP is just such a beneficial tool that we are all so grateful for. We all right here on this call, I know, of how um, we're able to make bigger effects more quickly to that child's life thanks to the SSP and to the parents and for parents who do listen to be open to their own autonomic self-care and how that influences that co-regulation between you and your child. It really matters. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. Irina, did you want to add to that? Well, you know, Doreen kind of said almost everything. I know, <laughs> I said it so well. <laughs> I just feel that um, I wish that everybody could really embrace and be um, 
just allow themselves to go on the journey and I think get in touch with their feelings and how music can, um, you know, change how they feel and sort of see where it takes them. And I think SSP brings awareness to that connection between people. And I think even if we can focus on how we respond to other people and how we perceive other people, because, and and the narrative that comes with the state of autonomic nervous system, what do we tell ourselves? And even how that narrative can change by going, by shifting our nervous system to different places. Because I found, you know, like me, uh, going through my own journey through polyvagal uh, theory and just learning different aspects. And it can be quite complex because it took me few rounds of going through again and again through different trainings to actually grasp some concepts and, and really understand what they what they mean. But seeing how that narrative that can take us on such a different journeys in our relationship with others, children in a playground, how children perceive their teachers, how teachers perceive their children, like children in a classroom. And sometimes it's not about the person, it's just where our nervous system is. And even awareness of that and like stopping and thinking, okay, I can hear myself, but it might, you know, maybe I should take different perspective and different take. And I think SSP really can help with this. Mm-hmm. Well said. And I think you're exactly right. I think it helps create that space that people can sort of like step back and build that self-awareness of what actually is tracking in my nervous system right now. And knowing that that state really creates the lens of how you take in the world and how you respond to the world. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that that connection part, I think biologically we all need to have that nice connection with, with other people in our life and I think the SSP just creates that you know that resonance frequency in in a way that that creates a deeper shift that I think really creates a lot of wellness for us a lot of health and, and, also, wellness. and also looking through neuroplasticity lens if we allow children to stay for a long period of time in that sympathetic sort of protective state mm-hmm. what how do they um, create a self-image and then how do they look at the world around them you know all of a sudden everybody becomes their enemies and you know I'm looking like in Australia what's happening in you know in Queensland your Queensland <laughs> the youth um, crime and it really upsets me that everybody's thinking about the legal system and shut, you know lock them up. And I'm thinking, this did anyone take time to try to listen to their stories? What created that narrative for them that nothing matters? Mm-hmm. It's okay to go to somebody's house and just you know damage their property, steal things, you know hurt other people, and it seemed like it does nothing matters. Like, why, where did that come from? How did their nervous system shape to that state? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, that would create a, a brand new lens in the whole criminal system, wouldn't it? People really oh, look, looked at why why people are in that dissent, 
you know that defensive state yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. all right my friends thank you so much I know we could revisit this again and really probably unpack in depth some more cases. And you guys have so many amazing stories to share. But thank you so much for your time today um, and sharing your knowledge and your cases. I'm sure people are going to find it invaluable. And um, and it was good for me to see you both again. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Joanne. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful. It would be a great honour if you could share this episode with a colleague, friend or family member. Knowledge is power and sharing this episode may help someone who is struggling. A big thank you to those who sent in questions. My apologies if I did not get to yours. I felt our conversation covered some of the topics that had been submitted, so I didn't ask a specific question if I felt we had chatted about it. However, we do plan to record a follow-up session in early 2024, targeting specific questions around SSP implementation. So if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at joanne at integratedlistening.com.au or you can message me by, via the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast Facebook group. Irina, Doreen, and I support clients globally. I will list contact details in the show notes and our SSP podcast Facebook page. But to contact Irina, contact Irina, which is I-R-E-N-A, at familyconnections.com.au, and you can contact Doreen at dhunt. O-T-R at comcast.net or you can contact myself is Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E at integratedlistening.com.au. My next guest is the esteemed Dr. Sue Carter, founder of Oxytocin, the social bonding hormone and wife to Dr. Stephen Porges. You can only imagine the kind of conversation they have in there around their dinner table at night. I look forward to sharing this one with you. Sending you all kindness and self-compassion. Until next time, take care, Joanne. If you'd like to learn more about the Safe and Sound Protocol in Australia and New Zealand, please contact Integrated Listening Australia the website is integratedlistening.com.au and for the rest of the world, please contact Unite Integrated Listening at integratedlistening.com.